theyeshiva.net. So the Posik says in Parshas B'Shalach, after the story of splitting over the sea and the Jews passing through it, the summation of the story, the way the Torah decides, chooses to summarize the story is, and we say it every single morning, Vayar Yisrael Asayod HaGdoyla Asher Osa Havaya B'Mitzrayim Vayiru HaOm Es Havaya Vayaminu Bavaya U'Bamayisha Avdei The moment you see a sentence with three times the same word, especially the most important word in Tanakh, right? You have to perk up and say, wait. Three words are the same, three times the same word in the same sentence. Lahavdal defies the laws of grammar, syntax, and presentation. Mela, you have it twice new. The beginning, Vayay Yisrael, Sayyad Agdel Shrasa, Vayabim Yisrael saw the great hand that Hashem performed in Mitzrayim. Okay. Vayiru Am Es Havaya. And the nation feared Havaya. Vayaminu, Vayaminu boy. Or Vayiru Ha'am, right? Vayaminu Bavaya. It's a continuation. It's, it's the same sense, not even a new sentence. It's it's the same, literally, it's the same continuation of words. They feared Havaya and they believed in Havaya. Ah. And the second one, suddenly there's also Moshe. They fear Havaya. They believe in Havaya and in Moshe. We say this every morning. Some of us sitting at this table have been saying this for many decades, believe it or not. <laughs> but that only allows you to focus less, not more. Because, <laughs> you know, yeah, sure. We want, we're going to start changing Dominic. <laughs> yeah. So you have three times the same word. Yeah. Unless it's not the same word. <laughs> it's the same letters, but it's not the same word. It's the same letters, so it looks like the same word, but it's not the same message, it's not the same energy. And to understand this, the Balatanya brought up the big question, that Amuna should precede Yira, Yira should not precede Amuna. Some awareness should precede an emotion, whether an emotion of love, an emotion of fear, an emotion of awe. The way we explain Amunah is, I believe that this exists, or I believe in the power of what exists. Oh, yeah, really? So once you have that awareness, okay, that usually can trigger deep emotions. Hence, I love, I'm scared, I'm in awe, I'm, I have reverence, or whatever. I'm drawn, uh, I'm drawn close, I'm drawn, I, I, I recoil. But what if this, Havaya is not one dimension. As he says, there's two concepts of Havaya. The do mean two concepts. Hashem is one. But there's two names. Vayavir Hashem alpano vayikra. Hashem, Hashem. Havaya, Havaya. Okay, here again. Here it's not just two sentences. Not even one sentence. 
It's repeating the same word one after another. Havaya, Havaya. So he introduced us that there's a concept called Shem Havaya de Lasata and Shem Havaya de Leila. Shem Havaya de Lasata means, so to speak, a lower dimension. And again, the word lower is really a very inaccurate translation. We'll see what it means. Like it's lower, in other words, yeah, relative to the higher, it's lower, but the concept of lower is the way Havaya is manifested in a concept we call lasata, lower reality, or our experience of reality is better. And then there's Shema Vaya de la'ela. What's the difference? Both ayud and hey and vav and hey mean both require, or both are represented by the process of four dimensions, yud and hey and vav and hey. That process is exists in both. That's why it's the same letters, Yud and Hei and Vav and Hei. But still, this is the process happening in Shem Havaya, the Lasata, the lower Havaya, and this is the process, Yud and Hei and Vav and Hei, happening in Shem Havaya, the Leila. Vayavir Hashem alpano vayikra, Hashem Hashem is these two Havayas. Vayiru ha'am es Havaya, vayaminu ba'avaya is not the same. Vayiru ha'am es Havaya, he said the Shem Havaya, the Lasata. Vayaminu ba'avaya is shem avaya de la'ela, the higher avaya. Lasata in Aramaic is lower, right? Tato govar ilo govar. In Aramaic, tato lasata. In, in Hebrew, it would be lamata. In Aramaic, it's called lasata. Just don't want you to get confused. Lasata is like saying lamata, the lower, the lower concept. As a more base consideration, yaminu. It's a much higher level. Yeah, he says it's Yirei Boishe, so maybe the translation is not fear as much as awe. Awe is probably a better translation. He says Yiris Boishe, it's like a, an inner awe, like Boishe is like a, a, I don't know what the word is. It's usually translated as shame, but it's, it's more than shame. You lose yourself in the, in the awe of something. The Hebrew word for fear? Pachat. Now, it seems like is, is when you recognize your position in the relationship. You, you, you don't have place to put yourself. It's too big. <laughs> it's, it's, a very, it's a very meaningful emotion. <laughs> the presence of real greatness. It's not like I'm not embarrassed because I, I did something yesterday and then I'm going gonna to find out about it. It's not that type of shame. It's a type of, I don't know, um, like a... You have to experience it. <laughs> huh? Yeah. It seems to be different than, than the concept of Pinto that we always talk about. One with insight as opposed to recognizing, but it's just like I'm recognizing how... Your ego loses itself. It's like... Consumed. Yeah, it's a, no, it's of course a form, a form of bittel, but it's, it's called Yiras Boishas. It's like, Meshemtzach. What do I mean, Meshemtzach? It's not I'm embarrassed because I did something wrong and you see it and somebody's going to find out and you're going to tell and you, and it's going to be in the newspapers. 
That's also a legitimate fear that a person has. It's, 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 it's an embarrassment in the sense of not embarrassed like in an uh, unhealthy way because, you know, I, I did a crime yesterday and nobody found out and suddenly you found out, so I'm embarrassed. The, the boishas is with my metzias. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a shame of my very metzias. In other words, I, I, um, yeah, it's just in a state of awe and reverence, yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah, like the presence of greatness. Moshe says, "Asuranova eres hamar, hamar hagadol hazeh." You don't want to feel yourself, because if you feel yourself, you can't experience what you're experiencing. It seems like if you find the words for it, it's not it. Yeah, you you don't want to put it in context. You want to be in its context. That's what Moshe says. Yeah, it's something that's so transcendent and infinite. It's it's an awe. Now, like everything in life, it can be misconstrued. It can be manipulative. A person who's wise and sly can manipulate you into that. So that's why many of us, especially sitting around the table, are very allergic to these concepts. Because it's like, you know... Uh, I'm not melting away in anybody. You know, I'm going to retain my, my, my full composure. But when one taka approaches something that is truly transcendent, that level of greatness, then my stubbornness to hold on to my, my ego becomes, uh, it becomes, uh, my own obstacle. It becomes my own prison, becomes my own trap. And we understand why we have that trap. We want to protect ourselves. Because when yira is misplaced, it's like I said a few nights ago, when humility is misplaced, right? An the Balshamtiv says, misplaced humility can destroy a base amikdash. Misplaced fear or even awe can be very uh, damaging. But really, yira's boishas when it's appropriate is is the most appropriate feeling. So that's vayiru. And then there's something called Vayaminu. Completely different experience. And to, it has to say Havaya twice. can say Vayiru as Havaya Vayaminu boy. Uvayiru Vayaminu Bavaya. That would completely miss the target. Vayiru as Havaya. Vayaminu Bavaya. And here at the Yaminu, there's also another element, Moshe Avde. And this is all a continuation to the first Havaya. Vayar Yisrael Sayodakdoyla Shaosa Havaya Bimitzrayim. What does all this mean? What does this mean? What's Shem Havaya de Lasata? Shem Havaya de Lasata, he said, is the way, it's the, let's put it this, it's the imprint of the Ein Saif vis-a-vis, through and in the world. And what do we mean the world? We don't only mean the planet and the cosmos. We mean, he said, every world. It's the way divinity is manifested through existence. And what is existence? Existence doesn't have one definition. Existence has, I don't know how many definitions. Every creature has a definition of existence. As legitimate as any other creature. Why do I say as legitimate? Because that's Havaya. Havaya, Ainsoif condenses himself so that a mosquito, right, or a beetle, or a wasp, 
can have its DNA, which allows for its perception of its existence. And this is very important. And a human being, for his perception of existence, obviously more grand. And for a cow, its perception of existence may be more grand. I don't know. Depends where you are. Adam of Yeah? Was there a mice? The... So Shema Vayad Lasatas, when you say Shema Vayad it's not one Shema Vayad. Shema basically, if you want to put it this way, it's how God constitutes the DNA of life. DNA is Shema Vayad. <laughs> There's even the professor who tried to show in the, the images of DNA, Yud and He and Vav and He. Well, that's a separate Indian. But the concept is, it's, it's the way undefined reality assumes and becomes the divine battery and electricity of existence. I can't see electricity. Nobody has ever saw electricity. But I certainly see the impact of electricity. Right? If only that your phone is dead. <laughs> which can create a tremendous crisis in today's world, and you lose your entire identity. So I see the impact of it. I see the imprint of it. My laptop is dead. My refrigerator is not working. My vacuum cleaner is not working. My AC is not working. Yeah. Now, the electricity doesn't change, but the electricity completely changes in its impact. The electricity in the laptop has a different effect than the electricity on the on your air condition or your toaster oven or your microwave oven. This is to warm up the rice or the broccoli. And this is to have your uh, holy iPhone operating or unholy iPhone operating. So that's the difference in the... It, now, I understand they don't have perceptions of existence, but imagine they were conscious creatures. They're robots, soon emotional intelligence, yeah? They have their way of perceiving existence based on the battery. Based on the consciousness that's imbued. And everything has its level of consciousness, including a rock. The Arizal says a rock also has a nefesh. All this is included in Shem Avaya de Lusata. It's the Avaya that's manifested, that's expressed, that flows through every, every nook and cranny of our cosmos, every blade of grass and every flake of snow and every drop of rain and every beating heart and every grazing mammal. And every star, every black hole, every mo- every molecule, every atom, every particle. From the largest to the smallest, it's all the imprint of the Shem Havaya, the Lusata that's manifested through the world. And every world through its unique chemistry and the identity that it brings to, to, to reality. And within each world itself, every creature in its own way. And he says, this is called, this is why we call the Bria, Me'ayin Le'yesh. And the big question was, Me'ayin? It's from nothing. Mimcha Hakal. The answer is, how much of the Mimcha is expressed in the Yesh? And you know what the answer is? Ayin. <laughs> See, the world is Mimcha, it's from you, it's not Me'ayin. How much of the you, of the infinity, the pure infinity is expressed in the Yesh? If it would be, then the very identity of creation would, would, would cease to exist. So Havaya Lagabi, the Ain Saif itself, is called Ayan. 
because it has to go through such a condensment of reality, which is the Yud, and then the hay, and then the Vav, and the hay, which represents the four processes to be able, for Ein Soif to be able to become relatable to the universe. What do I mean relatable? To condense itself in a way that what is its definition? My definition is your DNA, your soul, your electricity. And the first step is always Yud, which represents the ultimate symptom, the condensing of all the energy into a seminal point, and only then must there be an expansion. And as the metaphor the Balatanya often brings, we learned this in the summer Maimon that we learned from Reb Hillel about this three weeks of mourning and the Shivat and the Chemt, if you remember, we learned this much at length, that a teacher, a great communicator, who may be a genius and a gon oilam, wants to teach, the first step that's needed is Yud. What is Yud? Yud is not an act of self-expression. It's an act of actually self-restriction. Condensing all the information into a yud, which seems so tiny. Because if the teacher expresses himself, it's actually going to become a migraine headache for the student. The student will get nothing from it. He must completely imagine the world of the student, his his or her Weltanschauung, their mindset, their perception, and then take all the information all the information, and condense it into a tiny, tiny point, filtered, condensed, restricted, compressed. Huh? Why? So that the student can ultimately absorb it, and it could become his. Because the definition of pedagogy is that I'm communicating not at you, but to you, and not even to you, in you. And that's not an easy thing to do this Yud. Now from the Yud you have to go to hey, because you can't teach a Yud. The Yud has to be expanded, but it's the Yud that's expanded, not pre-Yud. The Yud now becomes a hey, very elaborate. That's all still in the teacher's preparation. Vav is the communication. Look at the Vav. The Vav is actually the flow, the flow of energy. And the hey is the absorption within the, within the student. What's called Shatach HaMakabal, the territory of the recipient. And you can get stuck at any one of these four points. There has to be that flow. There's something called Shem Havaya Kisidroi and Shem Havaya Shaloi Kisidroi, meaning the order of Yud and Hey and Vav Hey in the proper order. And then sometimes shalaykasir, they're not in the order. There's a certain flow of light that comes through yud and hay and vav. The Balshamtiv once said that when a poor man, you see a poor man, you give tzedakah. So he says, don't wait till he sticks out his hand. You initiate it. So they said, well, I don't know why. So he says, he says it's pashat. You take out a coin. If you initiate, take out a coin. Yeah. What we would call a, they would call a kopke. We would call a dime, a penny, a nickel. He says, the coin is a yud. It's a little circle. You put it in your hand. Your hand is, <laughs> look like a hay. <laughs> Five fingers is hay and it looks like a hay. And then you stretch out your hand. So what do you have? <laughs> you have a vav. You put it into the poor man's hand. So you have a hay. He says, ah! 
is just manifested in the world. He says, but if the poor man has to stretch out his hand first, and then you take out the coin, oy, 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 now the energy is confused. The vav came before the yud, so it's vav and yud and hey and hey. He says, okay, mela. Well, well, it's better than nothing, but that's not, uh, <laughs> that's not the way to do it, huh? But it's, it's, it's such a beautiful concept because he was really, he was capturing it in, 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 in real life. That's when you're in, to- in touch with the energy. During uh, 1942, Rommel was coming on Israel to, it was called Palestine under the British mandate. The Nazi general Rommel was already uh, close to Egypt and the Jewish people who lived then in Eretz Yisrael, it was a small yishuv, a half a million or 600,000 Jews. But uh, there was no question, the Germans at 1942, you know, Europe was uh, under Hitler and the next was the Middle East, it was Eretz Yisrael. And the Jews didn't have doubt about what their fate is going to be. So there was tremendous dread this is Pachat, dread in the Yishuv in Eretz Yisrael. Especially, I think, spring, summertime, 1942 or 43. There were two great tzaddikim then in Yerushalayim, the Husiatin the Rebbe, grandson of Rabbi Yisrael Rizhin. His name was Rabbi Yisrael Friedman. He passed away in 49. And there was Rabbi Shlom Kazviller, also in Yerushalayim. The Rav of B'nai Brak was a Jew, Rabbi Yankalanda. His uh, grandson just became the Rav there. His son passed away, Rabbi Moshe Landa. <coughs> he was a Chabad Chassid from the Rebbe Rashab. And he asked the Husiyat and Rebbe if they could do a tefillah by the cave of the Rachayim HaKadosh. So he agreed. So they went, a big oilam of Jews went to the Rachayim, is buried on the Harazesim. He came from Morocco to Yerushalayim, and he passed away Tovkov, 1740. He's buried there, and he's, his yard said, Tesvav Tamos, I think. So they went to the Rechayim, and Yadav Shlem Kazvila there, the Husiyatin Rebbe was there, and a lot of other Jews. And they said the whole Tillam, to pray for the Jews in Eretz Yisrael. And uh, they finished Tillam. The Husiyatin Rebbe and the system of Ruzhin was very Malchuzdik, very royal. The Ruzhina himself looked like an aristocrat to the point that people sometimes got very uncomfortable and suspicious. Yeah. is <clears throat> a the original But he was a Kaddish alien. He was a, a very, very holy Jew. It was a style of Malchus, of royalty, which, you know, other rabbis and at the time didn't. It was Eastern Europe. There was tremendous poverty. But this was his, his was Derech Hussiatna. So externally, you know, it looked very, uh, Balabatish. But they, some of them were very holy Jews. So he stood there, very composed. He finished Tillam. And, but he, he, um, he was still standing there, very quiet. So they started Tillam again. I think they davened for a few hours. Until he finished, Hussiatna Rebbe finished. <coughs> and he says, I heard this from a Jew. Tommy, he heard it from somebody who was there. So it seems like a pretty authentic story. I didn't hear it from a person who was there. I heard it from somebody. Tommy, he heard it from somebody who was there. He was a 12-year-old kid, and he told him that he was there. He says, uh, the Deitch, the Deitch, 
the Germans will not, they will not be able to enter Israel. People were afraid, very afraid, because they heard what's happening in Europe. So he had a chassid there, even though he respected his rabbi, but he blurred out, he said, Viveister, <laughs> you know. It's like we would say, you know, <laughs> we've been sold enough Brooklyn bridges, you know, Viveister. So he said, as a chigeendik daven and habrigizen shem havayek is sidra. Because when I finished davening, I saw Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey in the order. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> That's how I know. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to explain the story. I'm just telling you a story that happened. <laughs> if you were thinking I'm going to explain this, I'm not going to explain it. Just wanted to say that. It was an amazing Yeshua what happened. That's why Jews in Israel were saved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but there's something considered, something considered. Yeah. So this, this, this process, how much of the Yud, how much of the pure Ein Soif is captured in the Yud? The answer is from the teacher's perspective, everything is there. But from the student's perspective, it's called Ayin. What do we mean Ayin? Right? May Ayin Liesh means how much of infinite energy for us, DNA is incredible. It's infinite. It's not incredible. But relative to the pure Ein Saif, it's a condensement into Yud. You'll almost call it Ayin. Ayin means it's like, what's the, the value of the, how much of the sun, of the intensity, the, the electricity, the electromagnetic power of the sun is captured in a ray of light that flows and shines through your window on a beautiful Thursday morning to brighten up your kitchen and your dining room. It's very significant, that ray of light. Well, I'm talking about one ray of light, yeah, relative to the sun. Yeah, You'll call it ayin. Ayin. That's right. May ayin liyesh. The world comes, not because it comes may ayin. It comes from Hashem. Yud kevavke. But the energy that's manifested in creation, is the God that I know through creation. It's called the Koya Chapoyel Benifel, the imprint of the Creator in the creation. The core of all consciousness is divine. The core of every atom is divine. The core of every cell is divine. It's the Dvar Hashem. That's what it is. It's spiritual energy. What state of spiritual energy? That's called Yud and Hei and Vav and Hei. What's Shema Vayadila the Balatanya said? What's Shema Vayadila? Also Yud Kevavke. Meaning also has a tzimtzum. Because if not, it wouldn't be Yud. It's also Yud Kevavke, which are called names. And all names are relationships. That's what a name is. Why do you have a name that I should be able to identify you? Without a name, why do people have names? If you're living yourself on an island your whole life, you don't need a name. You usually don't talk to yourself by your name, right? Some people do. There's somebody here, I hear him sometimes speak to himself, he calls himself by his name. But it's part of a healing method. It's an interesting healing method. Because you're, if you don't know you, like, sometimes you have to get to know yourself, at least as a stranger. Ah? Yeah, zisha, zisha, zuk. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's, it's something. But the point is, usually, usually, you're having a conversation with yourself, with yourself. But if I want to talk to you, I have to call you. The names are tools of communication. Also, I don't only mean your name, Zelig, Chaim, Yankel. I'm also talking about a name in terms of a person has a name, right? Uh, 
What's a name? A name is your name, the way we know you, your reputation. I don't know you. I know your name. Nobody knows anybody else. <laughs> what do I know? I know what I see. I know what you tell me. I know what, what's seen, what's visible. So you say, shame Havaya. What's shame Havaya? It's the way Ein Soif is in a relationship with a universe. But that relationship requires more than everything else the suspension of infinity for the sake of consciousness, even consciousness on the highest spiritual level. That's why Yud Kei is not only the lower world, even the highest world. What's Shem Avaya de La'ela? Shem Avaya de La'ela is, he gives the marshal. Before you create anything, it's always first must be created in your mind. It's only successful that way. Everything, and this is what you know people do during... Uh, <laughs> During different parts of the day, you daydream. If you'll ask around the people who are daydreaming right now as I'm speaking, and I don't mean to disturb you at all, you're probably creating a company. If you're Jewish, you're creating a company as I speak, right? You're creating an organization, a website, a company, buying a building, selling a building. I hope you sold it already for a, a lot of money. Make sure. Huh? How did I know? Yeah, yeah. Huh? Yeah, but there's a Shia before Shmainasta, so you could build another company. What are you, why you have to be stingy? Yeah. And what do they say? Two people fail in life, those who, who don't have a plan and those who stick to their plan, right? But you have to have a plan. That plan begins right here. The architect doesn't begin right away with a, give me a piece of paper. No, 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 no. It's all in here. The composer, doesn't begin with writing notes. It's all in here. And you could see it. If you have an x-ray of his mind, he sees it. It's all in, nobody would know it. The same is true with the speaker. The same is true with the writer. The same is true with the artist. The same is true with the producer. The same is true with the contractor. The same is true with every artist and every businessman and or woman and in any area in life. The whole creation of anything, whatever it is, before it's externalized in the concrete world, it first is created in the mind. Now, when we create something in our mind, it's really worthless. <laughs> you built the house in your mind, you built the company in your mind, right? But, because if it stays there, right? If it stays there. If it doesn't stay there, that's really the genesis of creation. When you're talking about ultimate creation, this is really a layer of identity. It's really a layer of existence. What does the world look like within God's mind, so to speak? It's also Yud Kevavke. <laughs> because that creation is a Yud and a He and a Vav and a He. But that's called, he said, Alma de Skasya, the concealed world. In other words, the entire world, the way he puts it is the Lashon of Kabbalah, Allah Bir It ascended in his will to create a world. The way it is in that state of Ratzayn, you have all of reality. But all of reality is then called Shema Avaya de la Eila, not Shema Avaya de la Sato. It's not externalized outside, but it's completely internalized. And that's why it's called Iskasya. Iskasya means it's concealed. What is it concealed by? It's like when you create this in your mind, there's no way of me seeing it. Because it's inside of you and it's completely part of you and it's completely unified with you and it's clearly an expression of you. Isgalia is a whole different world. It's the way it assumes already a distinct identity outside of you.
That's Shema Avaya de Lusata versus Shema Avaya de Leila. Now you'll say, what's the difference? Whatever is in your mind comes out. But there's a very big difference between the two. Because in the first, when it's inside of you, it's completely one with you. There's no separation. There's no dissonance. There's no alienation. There's no detachment. Because it's completely inside of me. It's, it's. It can be very ambivalent about something. There is dissonance there. Within yourself. Right. Right. But we're talking about the world, the way it is, the way it is perceived on that level. It's from a place of pnimius, of internalization. To give a marshal, a marshal by people, you could see the same thing. I could know you, but how do I know you? I only know you, yeah, from trying to understand what I see. And because I try to understand what I see, so therefore I come to a certain recognition of you. And sometimes that's how you know yourself. <laughs> you know yourself from the outside and then you go to the inside. What's the beginning of a, of, of a real relationship? The beginning of a real relationship is when you allow me into your own space, your, your intimate space. And what's a deeper relationship? What's a deeper relationship? Yeah, there's relationship, there's acquaintances, there's friends, there's close friends, there's best friends, there's a best friend. What is it? It's inviting you or me into a more intimate space, all based on the space that I know within myself, but at least I'm inviting you into a more intimate space to see things from my inner world. You know, it's always fascinating. You read a book of somebody and it changes your life maybe. Or you hear something and it affects you. But you never met the author. You never met him. But you imagine what he looks like, you know? <laughs> and then sometimes you'll read an interview, you know, you wonder what does breakfast look like? What does lunch look like? What's the schedule? What, what is, why do people, why are people fascinated by this? I want to know, you know, what makes you tick? You know, what do you do when you get depressed? Yeah, sometimes you're a young person, you develop these, you, 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 you know, these people who leave an impact on you, but always from a distance. You don't know who they are. Maybe stories, maybe you literate, whatever it is. And then you get a glimpse, you know, come, come spend time. It's a whole different world. Now, sometimes you're very disappointed. <laughs> distance is very good. <laughs> In fact, I would say many great people, the further you remain from them, the greater they remain. <laughs> I don't mean, huh? The closer you get, you often get very disappointed. Huh? What? Familiarity breeds contempt. And it's not about judgment. It's just, there's even in halach, it says, You're not supposed to be in a mikveh with the king. You're not supposed to see a king by the barber. He's not, why? Why not? Why not? But you, nobody knows that the melech has to go to the mikveh. He has to go to a bathroom. He has to get a haircut. The pshat is, there's a certain awe and respect that comes from a distance. You know, suddenly I see, you know, you're just, uh, you, you know, <laughs> in Yiddish there's an expression for this, but it's not for now. But basically, you do what everybody else does. The greater you are. Oh, oh. You have, you have individuals that the closer you get to them, the more distance you feel. But that's very unique. 
Because usually you get close and you see, you know, he also has a temper, as I you know, he also gets into his moods. A person is a person. From distance, you can create a, an aura, you know, a halo and this. You come out, those are always, it's all mitigated. But a relationship, that's not a relationship. That's a relationship from a distance. I re- I read your book. I saw your architecture. I went to the museum. I saw your piece of art. I know you. Do I know you? But do I know you? What do I know about you? I know part of your brilliance, no question. I know the ray of light that came from the sun. It's brilliant. I know your brilliance. I saw your art. Even that, I don't know your whole brilliance. I saw 20 pieces of art. I read your book. I heard you speak. Fine. I saw your actions. I saw the imprint. I look at the businesses you created. I see what a tech, I could see your charisma. I, I see a lot. It's not, it's not, I see a lot. But how much do I see really? There's no relate, and, and even what I see, what's the relationship? Huh? Where's the beginning of a relationship? The beginning of a relationship is actually the vulnerability of seeing everything inside. What, what does the inside look like? What we call an x-ray, an MRI. Now, if you want to remain a celebrity, you don't allow that. <laughs> because again, it could compromise it. But if you want a relationship, you must have that. Why do so many celebrities drug themselves up or kill themselves? Because of this. He comes home from a concert, okay? There were 80,000 people at the concert. They were licking his saliva. The saliva that he spit, they lick it. He comes home, yeah? His wife says, there's garbage to take out. They're coming tomorrow morning. They're coming to, They're coming at 7 o'clock. You don't go to sleep before you take out the garbage, okay? I'm doing it already for a month. And why do you come home so late? Why do you come home so late? You texted me, you're coming home two hours ago. And he's like, I said, 80,000 people saw him and were ready to, they melted in ecstasy. Yeah? Ecstasy, one type of ecstasy, another type of ecstasy, but whatever it was. And suddenly he came, came home and then she's like, take out the garbage. It's too hard. The dissonance, dissonance. Am I a god or am I not a god? <laughs> By them, I'm God. Here, I'm human. You have to choose. And you know what most people choose, right? It's more glorious to be God than to be human. So they get divorced. (laughs) And you live in your own world, in your own cocoon. But you're really desperate for real relationships. So what do you do? You do other things. It's a very tragic situation. It's the failure to be able... To go into a real relationship. And if you're a talented person, you understand this very well. If you're not talented, then you won't understand this. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> People who are brilliant, artists, know this very well. It's a tremendous tension. Reb Tzaddik says, Reb Tzaddik says that this was Yashka's problem. And he says this was Isaiah Isha's problem. And he says it about one more person. Ah, um, Shapsitzvi. He says they both had this issue. They were very, very deep people. And when your your imagination works, your imagination works, and you become, you're very powerful. And you forget your humanness. And it's very tempting. <laughs> Who wants to remember that they're mortal, they're finite, they're naked, they're small, they're in pain, they cry like everybody else. Uh, who, I don't. I'm, I'm, uh, you become like superhuman, you know, Batman, Superman. 
Nietzsche's Eubermensch. Eubermensch. You understand? But you have no relationship. Why? Because you don't let anybody inside your life. Because you know why? It's pretty messy inside. <laughs> the business Elbe Bus of Adam, like everybody else. Huh? It's very, it's a very vulnerable experience. Who wants to do that? You're Teufus Dinian. Huh? I'm just giving, using this as a marshal. You want to know what the nimshal is? Maybe the marshal is the nimshal. <laughs> but this is a beginning of a glimpse to understand what the Balatanya is teaching us here. At least one aspect of it. There's much more, but at least one aspect of it. In other words, do we know what type of relationship do we have with God? So he says, Pairoi was ready for the first one, but not for the second one. I'm fine. God wrote a beautiful book. God is the best, greatest architect. I'm good. I want a personal relationship. I want you. I love your books. I love your works. I love your brilliance. I love your DNA. I'm fascinated by it. But I want you. I want you. What's called Alma de I want to be able to go into your mind. I want to touch your soul. Yeah. 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 In denial. And he did it in denial. <laughs> Pun intended. For the first, it could be Yira. For the second, you need a Muna. Because Amuna, unlike most people, many touch Amuna as faith, meaning blind faith, I believe, we see here that Amuna is deeper than Yira. Yira comes from the word, the same word like, same letters like Ri'iya. You can only experience this type of awe if you see it. If you don't see it, if you're far away, you won't experience awe. Real awe is when you're close. You know, people, there could be two people in the presence of an extraordinary great man. One person is not in awe. The other person is in awe. At the surface, it looks like the person is in awe is like, you know, is more childlike. The person who's not in awe is bigger, but sometimes the opposite. The person who doesn't get it can afford not to be in awe. The person who gets it, you can't afford not to be in awe. <laughs> you get it. When we're looking at it from a place of abuse or manipulation, then the one who's in awe is Nebach, you know. <laughs> he lost himself. When you're looking at it from a place of Emes, Yira comes from Re'iyah. I see, I see too much. I, I don't have a choice but to be in awe. How could you not be in awe? Like, are you not human? <laughs> don't you, don't you have a soul? Like, look, look, look what's in front of you. Look what, look what you're in contact with. You want to remain in your own ego? Okay, Nebach. That could be in Havaya de Lusata, Yiru. Emuna is deeper than that. What is Emuna? Emuna is the ability to touch and experience and be in a relationship with that that I cannot see, that I cannot even appreciate, that I cannot even wrap my brain around in any way. Emuna is a name for a relationship. It's my relationship with something that I cannot put into any context. 
That's what Amuna is. It's a very deep relationship, Amuna. We call it faith. Like, I believe you. I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, what we call Amuna, I'm not really sure. But my grandmother used to think so. So I'll, I'll, why not, you know? <laughs> Somebody once said, I used to be an atheist, but they don't have any holidays. You know, you want blintzes. You mean impeachment? What? Oh, you mean Soviet? <laughs> In other words, religion, you know, it gives good structure. The Vils Latkes, the Vils Blintzes, the Vils Matzi, you want to go on summer vacation, you want to go pay. This is action. Yeah, I believe, I believe. Do I know? Yeah, Nish, yeah. My, my grandmother is good enough. It works for me. It's a nice culture. It's good Shalom Zachas. And the, the community supports the Chasanas. Why not? And the Shiner soup. We, where do you get Shiner's soup? If you're an atheist, you have soup. And you know what? It's a powerful idea too. Community and all that. But the Nekud of Amunah is something else. The Nekud of Amunah is a relationship that's extremely profound. It never competes with intelligence. It transcends it. Amunah that competes with intelligence, you have to be careful of. Amunah never competes with intelligence. Amuna means I don't want my life to be limited by that which my brain can wrap itself around. Amuna is actually extremely intelligent. It's so intelligent that I want to go beyond intelligence. Not because I'm dumb and cultish. It's very different. Our Amuna is the opposite of what most people think. Amuna, that's what you see in this Maimer. Amuna comes once you do Zri'iye, Yireh. Now is Amuna. Vayaminu Ba'avaya is a different Avaya. Shem Avaya Delayla. Okay, we'll stop here. Huh? It's not this Amuna. No, no. Well, the next year is Monday. I'm going to Chicago for the yeah, for Shabbos. Tomorrow there's no Shir. Tomorrow's Friday, right? Tomorrow's Friday, yeah. According to Lusata Leila. I don't know how this relates, but is there such a What? <laughs> Ah. 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 Moshe, can I trouble you to uh, take out the Gemara's over there? This out-of-body experience, does that relate to the emotion? Yeah. Or is that just a make-believe kind of wish? I mean, people say that they, you know, they go through a death phase, and they, they see the body and the, the light and all these things. I don't know how that relates to what we were learning, but... I hear you. Is there, I wonder if there's something... I don't I'm sure it's connected, but I'm not familiar with it. It's hard to give an illustration of Yudas Boishas because uh, people didn't see anybody that they could uh, experience it. Huh? Yeah. 
From geschlepp sechs Schonacht and geschlepp sechs The line, the lines there were two, three hours. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.